0: welcome back. Um, you have a long time, guys. I'm telling you, get up. Move around a little bit. There are so many great, cool people here. I just got reconnected with my friend Amanda, who I didn't know. She lives close to here. Oh, I'm very excited about it. It's just good to have everybody in the same room. Hey, we got the Wi-Fi password. So if you have a device and you're like, Carrie Rogers, I like to use my phone and my, the Bible app or whatever you want to, or you know what? I lose interest and I need to do a little scrolling every now and again. There's no judgment it's a safe place. Anyway, that is uh, the network and then the, the password. So if you need to connect that way, do that. If you want a Bible, there's still some in the back. I'm sure if you raise your hand, uh, somebody will get you one because we're going to a party today, uh, which is exciting, right? Well, in our minds, we're going to go to a party. Um, I'm excited about the text this week. I think I'm always excited about the text, which is helpful. Um, But I love the idea of uh, a good party, right? Um, Whether maybe or not you have like memories of college and you don't really want to talk about those here in this place, of memories of really good parties. Or um, big birthdays we tend to do. uh, We tend to throw really big parties, right? We give you like you're 21, 30, 40. Then every decade we're like, hey, we're still in it. Let's throw a party. Um, and we have a good time. But there's no, for us, for people that are not, you know, Hollywood elite going to like the Oscar parties and things like that, which seem very well to do, the biggest thing we've got going on is weddings. We, we sort of go crazy at weddings. You two are planning a wedding right now. Do you have a budget for this thing? I'm not going to ask you what it is. You've got to stay within a, he's like, yes, yes, we do. Yes, we do. The budget is the biggest stressor Uh, anytime you're planning a wedding because you want all these things, but your budget allows you to have this many things because you want this thing to be this amazing wedding ceremony, but the wedding ceremony lasts about 35 minutes. It's the reception after where all your friends and family come and you're like, yes, and you want to celebrate and do all those cool things. That is, uh, that's the kind of the party we're talking about. This last summer, I went to a, uh, I, did a wedding for friends of mine. I was kind of one of those friends with the whole family. So it was really fun. It was on Friday the 13th. Ooh. Um, But this was like a big wedding. It was like the only daughter in this family that is getting married, right? And so they like blew the roof off of this thing. Like we went over to Boatworks and uh, it was like outside. It was like inside and outside. They hired a live band who played the best cover songs ever. Like, it was just, like, it felt a little bit more like prom than a wedding reception because nobody left, right? Like, we just kept, like, all the grandparents were there at the end of the night, and they're always, like, the first people to leave. Like, they watch the first few dances, and they have some decaf coffee with their cake, and then before you know it, they're like, bye, we love you. And this party was like, nobody left until the the end. It was 100 degrees that day. It was one of, it was July. It just was awfully hot. The only... Bad part of the whole day was that you were just a mess. But it was so fun, and we just went sort of forever. And when it, when it was done, because it was outside, we were all like, no, no, like we want more. Like that's the best kind of party. You knew you did a good job when people don't want to leave because it was so good. And I love that Jesus in scripture uses party language a lot. Um, he talks about feasts and banquets and weddings Um, because growing up for me, and maybe for some of you too, uh, Christianity wasn't seen as a party. It's still really not. Church was sort of boring, and you had to go. I remember one time, like, my mom told me to go to get something in the car. She's like, some of the doors are locked, but the one, I think there's one door that I left unlocked, so be careful. Well, I locked that door and was like, they're all locked, Mom, we can't go. She was so mad at me, I can't even. And my grandma lived next door, so guess who still had to go to church? We did. Yep, she picked this right up. So it wasn't something like I wanted to go. I did not think like we're going to a party, that kind of thing. Um, but Jesus' first miracle, right, was at a wedding where he turned water into wine so that the party could keep going, right? Like it wasn't like, oh, let me just, they just drink wine ceremonially. No, no, they were feasting and drinking with wine, and they ran out, and it was, the, you know, it's the worst when you're, when you run out of the good stuff, right? And Jesus, that was his very first miracle, was making sure that the water was turned into wine so that they could continue to party and have a good time. I just like that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of go and visit that party and kind of talk about that party culture. So the couple things that, that I want you to know as far as context, backdrop to this before we kind of launch in, is that he started to talk about the kingdom of heaven a lot right? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God uses different language. There's sort of two views about that. One is the far view, right? The future, the kingdom of heaven will be someday when I get there. We we talk about that a lot sometimes, right? Like in the future, we're doing these things and we're worshiping together so that in the future we get to go to heaven. That's sort of the far, far view. The near view is what Jesus spent his whole time talking about and that was the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. It is here right now. I'm I'm it and I'm giving you a taste of what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. So watch me. Pay attention to me. Jesus uses a language I'm I'm a citizen of heaven. Right? Like this isn't this isn't going to be it. We're 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 working towards something more than this. And as followers of Jesus, you're a part of that too. So those are two things we need to know. And then the rest, there's, this, there's actually kind of two parables, two conversations that Jesus is having, but they go so hand in hand, we gotta do them both. So buckle up, we're gonna be, this is, a, this is gonna be a good, exciting day, but we gotta cover a lot of ground. So a little backdrop is that Jesus has invi- has been invited to this luncheon. Kind of like if you were to say, you know, come to my house after church and we'll, we'll just get together, have a little lunch and, and spend some time together. Well, he got invited to the home of a very prominent Pharisee. And the Pharisees were rulers um, who loved their position of authority. They felt like they uh, had a direct connection to God and they understood the way to be holy the best because they knew the scriptures, God gave them the scriptures, they will make sure that you are all doing it right. And so they sort of became the religious police more than anything, and they loved it. They loved every second of it. Um, you know people like that in your life that are just like, I don't know, they're the grammar police in your life or they're like the clothing and they just kind of love it. They're like, what are you wearing today? That doesn't, that doesn't go. So whatever, you, that's the thing, but with rules, with all the rules for all the things. And Jesus is also gaining a lot of popularity in this time, right? People are starting to listen to him, people are starting to notice the distinctive difference between what he's teaching and what they have been taught by the Pharisees. And the things are not matching up. The Pharisees are, are starting to be seen as hypocrites. They know that and they are not happy, right? Like this guy is undermining them, embarrassing them, um, and they're just sort of, they're, they're, sick, they're sick of it. And they want to sort of set a trap for Jesus sort of to defraud him in some kind of way, like trick him into something. And they spend so many times doing this, just trying to get Jesus to trip up somehow like he doesn't know the law and they can sort of step in and go, well. But Jesus is too smart for it, right? So they're hoping to trip him up in regards to uh, the law on Sabbath and how to keep it holy. So Sabbath for Jews was then and still is today from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night and they had to do as little work as necessary. And just in that, there was tons of rules about that. Even today, it's like, it's like a light switch. People used to turn their, I don't know if they still do, people would turn their lights on on Friday night, keep them on all day uh, Saturday until Saturday night because they didn't want to have to do the work of turning on the light switch. So if that's one example, you can imagine this got a little bit crazy, right? Like it, it just, to keep something holy, if there was sort of one rule, they were gonna make sure that they backed up about another 40 feet to not get even close to breaking that rule to be unholy. So there was a man that was invited to this party that in, in my uh, version of the Bible has dropsy, which is the medical term now for edema, uh, for right? So, so swelling of the body, a lot of times associated with the heart and the lungs. He was sick, right? Which is crazy because they never would have invited him to that party. Like the Pharisees weren't like, yes, come sick man, be invited to my house. That is not how they rolled or ever behaved. And so Jesus is like, I'm so onto you. You are not, this is like the thin veil of of a trap. Like he sees it coming a mile away. So he heals him anyway. Right, he, he's like, I'm, it's, I know that you're you're trying to get after me about healing on the Sabbath day. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it anyway, and then I'm gonna remind you that if this were your son that fell in a well on the Sabbath, you'd rescue him. If this was an ox, something you'd spent money on and had um, that was value and worth to you, you would break the law. You'd do it anyway, and we kind of know because they kept silent that they were like, Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And so right, they didn't they didn't say anything. So that kind of shut them up right then and there. Jesus had a way of doing that. Like just kind of coming in and just sort of like dropping the mic all the time. He would just sort of say something and then they would just be silent and uh, not have anything to say. So anyway, around this time, Jesus notices that, that people are starting to move and shift and looking around to try to get a better seat, right? These parties, right, would last a day. So I imagine it feels a little like a open house with people kind of coming and going and maybe getting more food and more things. And people are sort of jockeying for a better position. Because if you had influence, you would be seated as close to the host as you could. Uh, If there were other teachers and scholars, you would sit closer based on how much education you had, how much study that you'd done, right? So if you you were way at the end of the table, you were seen as a person that didn't have Uh, a ton of influence. I kind of sometimes wonder, I mean, a little bit, if it's like when you invite people to stand up for you in your wedding, you have like best man, maid of honor, and then they kind of go out from there. And maybe sometimes, and that's always a thing, right? Like, oh, if I have, if she's like fourth in line, like that's gonna be a problem. She's gonna think that she's not as important as me or he, you know, those kinds of things. That's kind of the way, it had a pecking order, so to speak. So that's where we're gonna begin. So if you have Bibles and stuff, we're gonna begin at chapter 14 of Luke, uh, starting at verse seven. So Luke 14, verse seven. So he begins his first parable um, after he kind of sees the way that they're sitting. So he says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So if we just stop right there, it's clear, right? It's not, I don't feel like there's a lot of difficulty in sort of understanding. They, I think the Pharisees are like, yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, right? Don't look for the best seat. We're gonna look for the lowest so that you can be exalted, right? Which feels a little like, is that your, still your motivation, right? Do I still want, I still want the recognition. That still feels like a problem. If I'm having a dinner party at my house of like people, Um, that have been involved in this church for a long time. I've gotten to know some of them and we're at this big long table at Osgoods or whatever. And I see Jeff Ellers, I'm like, Jeff, what are you doing so far away from me? Like, I want you to come closer. You're the finance guy. You've been making sure that everything's balanced and that we have money to do stuff. And when I want to order something, you say yes. I want you sitting next to me to move up in sort of that place, the place of honor. So he's schooling them right in front of them. That's what I love. The, the sort of boldness and audacity of Jesus, he's invited to a luncheon and in that same luncheon, he's, he's telling them, you guys are self-centered because you promote yourselves above each other. That's not how the kingdom of God works. He starts to sort of set that groundwork right away. So I, I was thinking about this. We were talking about it in worship planning this week. What are the places of honor for us in the culture that we live in? If we think about sitting around a table, what are those things that bring honor to us? What do we sort of value in our communities? We sort of came up with a, with a, with a short list and maybe you've got things in your head. If they're not on there, write those down because I feel like those are the things we want to come back to. Those are the things we want to sort, of, to sort of understand the truth behind and understand where they come from and maybe weed out. So we decided it's wealth, education, the education that gives you the job that you will have, so there's status among um, what it is you do and this is a sort of an interesting place like we we're talking about in West Michigan, right? Well you could be a doctor or a lawyer, and that's clearly on the on the high end, but you could also have sort of a blue collar job but own your own small business that also builds you the same kind of wealth, therefore, whether you are white collar or blue collar it doesn't matter because for us, I think in our community, whatever it does that builds wealth can be seen as the highest. But don't be too showy. You mean wealthy, but if you're too showy, then, then, that's, then, then you're gonna lose your place of honor really, really quickly. We're a weird place here. And high moral standards. So if you are a person with high moral standards, we, that's sort of a place of value. But the point Jesus is making is that the kingdom of God will be a feast for humble people people that give of themselves, that empty themselves. And it's really difficult to be full of the things of God when you're full of yourself. Let me say that again. It's really difficult to be full of the things of God when you're full of yourself. That one is hurty to me. (laughs) Like that one gets me because as much as I wanna be that person, I spend an awful lot of time thinking about me and how a situation is gonna affect me. Even if I'm trying to like pour out and give and give and give, st- there's still like, sometimes my heart still is not in the place it should be because I'm still full of me. Because there's two kinds of people that can walk into a room, right? And, and the first person is like, here I am, you're welcome, enjoy, I'm here for you. My personality type lends itself to that. It does, it absolutely lends itself to that. Like, I'm ready to be served, thank you very much. But then there's the people that come in and automatically, hey, here you are, how can I help? See the difference? Jesus is saying that second person. So he continues to paint a picture for us what the kingdom of God is gonna look like. So jump back into verse 12 with me. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so that you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus turns to his host and says, you're gonna be repaid. But can we address what's in your heart right now? That same sort of issue that we had with it of, of a, you're gonna like this, I'm gonna give of myself, but I'm also gonna be repaid. What, what is that about who we are? All these people that you've invited are here because they think, you think they can do something for you. They're gonna be able to pay you back in some way. They're gonna be able to advance your social status. You're going to be seen as the best. Maybe they will, they'll throw a banquet and invite you and you then will be the guest of honor whatever that looks like, you're gonna be paid in some way. And I feel like I I operate that way a lot. I don't knowingly do, I think, but I think it's just so sort of ingrained in the way that we live and the way that we spend our time. We're always expecting something. James says it this way in in, in the book of James chapter 1, verse 27. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Right? These are the people that can't give you anything back. There's, no, there's nothing to, to expect. They have nothing. Right? Especially if we go back in, in, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus lived. I mean, those were the vulnerable. That's why he always talks about them and uses orphans and widows and cripples as examples because there was no one more vulnerable than they were. They couldn't always fend for themselves. They didn't have things. They couldn't pay you with anything. So saying yes to them is saying, will you take care of the poorest people who have no family and just come in and experience the love of my family? This has to feel like a punchline and a joke, right? To the Pharisees at this point. Okay, so a cripple, a lame guy and a widow walk into a party. Now what? And they like, that's it. They, they come to your party. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like and God will repay you at the resurrection. And when God decides to give blessings and gifts, it's gonna be more than you could ask or imagine or understand or even feel comfortable with, right? He's calling us to spend time with people that are not like us. How are you doing on that? I'm not doing great. Sometimes I think about parties that we used to throw um, when I was a kid and not even parties. They were like Sunday dinner. I think I remember them being, I think that's what it was when I'm trying to think back to then we'd go to my grandma's house and it was always the family and the family came over and we had this you know, big table and everybody was there but it was always ever just our family almost to the point sometimes where you'd wanna invite somebody. Like even if somebody was starting to date somebody and they were like, I think I'm ready to bring so-and-so. It was sort of like, this is just us. Like this is just us time. I don't think there's anything always wrong with that where there's never a moment for that. But when we spend our whole lives making sure that it's just us, the people that we already know and love and care about, the people that we are already comfortable with and enjoy spending time with, that's not what the kingdom of God looks like. So these are people that Jesus asks us to spend time with that maybe at the beginning are gonna make you feel uncomfortable because you don't understand who they are or where they're coming from or what their relationships have been like because you don't have a relationship with them. Let's pick it up at verse 15. There's always that one guy that wants to keep the party going. And I feel like he's this guy where he's like, if you can picture this next, he's got like a glass raised and it kind of feels like a little bit of a toast after he's had a little too much. And then he says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. I feel like he's just... Everybody's like, "Eh, I feel like he just missed the whole point. And I feel like other people know that he's missed the whole point because he's like shouting this weird toast and it doesn't really make sense to anyone. The Pharisees believe that they are going to be in the kingdom of heaven because they have the right blood type, right? The right DNA. They can trace their lineage back to Abraham. They are keeping the laws and they're doing the things right. So they will be there. But in verse 16, Jesus replied, a certain man, was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. So this was confusing to me. And so I feel like I had to sort of figure out what what does this invitation thing look like? So there's like two sets of invitations, right? One is the set that goes out, kind of like when you do a save the date for a wedding and you take cute pictures and you're like, you do the thing and then it has the date and the picture and you send it out and everyone's like, oh, this is coming up. I'll put it in my calendar and make sure I'm gonna go. It was like that, except there was no time or date. It just was like a FYI, I'm having a party. Get ready, um, you, you're invited, you're gonna come. And you know, so it took a long time. If you're gonna have a really big party, you wanted to make sure to get special foods and those special foods weren't always gonna be in the market and so there'd be some time that had to go by. And then when the banquet was prepared, another invitation would be sent out, generally just like this, via a servant, right? And they would just go around saying, the food's in the oven, the decorations are up, like see you in a couple hours. I feel like it's when mom like reminds you like the day before Thanksgiving at my house, 2.30. I'm serious this time, 2.30, right? Like this is when it will be ready. And if you are late, that will cause me great anxiety because the food will get cold. Right, so that's what that second invitation is like. The food, uh, the food is now ready, so you have to get ready to come. And so people are dropping everything, kind of getting ready, maybe getting dressed again, because parties like this, feasts, celebrations were. It wasn't just like a Friday night, right? These were going to last several days, so there was a lot of preparation involved, and people had to be ready for those things. Verse eighteen. But they all alike began to make excuses. I love these Kirk, I love the way that you read it. So let's, I wanna try to read it the same way because it's so good. So the first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me, lame. Another said, I have bought, just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I got married so I can't come. That's like the worst one. Like, I really want to go, but the wife, she's, (laughs) you guys are like, I think I've used that excuse before. It all sounds like lame excuses because they are lame excuses. And they all have an excuse because they have just acquired something. They've just gotten something. Um, Mostly because they are wealthy. People that have stuff and have the money and the means to buy the stuff and do the things. And if this party is going to last a few days, I'm pretty sure the land isn't going to change and the oxen are not going to, are not going to change a whole lot, right? Like I'm going, to, I'm going to go check out the house that I just bought up north because we're going to go check it and measure it for new carpet. This is the same excuses we would use today and they're using 2,000 years ago, but we still use them. We're going to test drive a new car. Yep, we've been looking around and so this is open. So we've got an appointment. We're going to do that. So please, please excuse me. I can't come. Um, you know, I have a, this other person asked me to do this thing. Like I'm in this relationship that matters more than you do. I'm going to go do that thing. I feel like I use those excuses. I'm the, I'm so good at excuses. I mean, I've got some, some, some like skills and abilities that the Lord's blessed me with, but when my heart isn't in the right spot, I can manipulate anyone. I can, right. I can, I can, I can give you an excuse that you'll be like, you bet. Or, oh, I'm just sorry that you have to. Now you're going to be all wondering when I invite me over to your house <laughs> and I say stuff. Shoot, shouldn't have said that. Right? But all this stuff is this material things and material stuff. And we're busy. We're busy with our stuff, doing our stuff to try to acquire more stuff. And, and you can fill in the blank. I'm too busy. Please excuse me. I don't know what that thing would be for you, but think about that. Sometimes yeah. if you're, you know, you're, you're, you're working really hard and these are really good things, right? Like you're, you're, you're in a busy season or you, um, you're, you're new at your job and you're young and you're trying to put in the work. These are all good things. But we sort of tout our busyness like a badge of honor. If you talk to anyone, it's the first thing they'll say is how are you? I'm busy, I'm busy, but good, but good, but good. I find myself saying it all the time because the busyness gives us some sort of self-importance. The busyness makes us and others feel like we are successful. I came across uh, this Tim Tim Keller quote, and I'd like to to give it to you because I was just like, he just hits it right on the head when he says this. More than other idols, personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God. Yikes that our security and value rest in our wisdom, strength, and performance. To be the top of the heap means that no one is like you. You are supreme. Yep, that's the place that we live in. Maybe you live there in your heart right now, but that's the world that we live in together. And that's why success matters to us. Whatever success looks like for us, that's the way that we want to be viewed, right? So verse 21, Oh, sorry, let me go back. It was the successful people that found the invitation from God as a disruption to their life. In a minute, we're gonna see who comes to the party and it's not them because they, they weren't gonna have the disruption. So in verse 21, it says this, the servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, here we go again, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. This must have been a massive party. If there's still room for all these things, it's the spiritually impoverished people that long for the kingdom of God. They're the ones that sort of are like, I know that I need it. They're the group that responds without hesitation at the invitation because they want to come. They want a place to belong. The church that we are is the body of Christ. When we gather together and when we are separated, must engage with those that are different from us. Those that are oppressed and rejected, downcast, poor, lame, and the marginalized because God is near to them. And he reminds us again and again and again, that those are my people whom I love. He's calling us to reach out to them with love and to care, giving them the best seat served with the best food with zero expectations for how they will behave, but how we will ever be repaid. Zero expectations. These are the people that are the close to the heart of God. And we talk about sometimes, this is like a sweet spot a little bit for us, right? Like we get to come into this place and we're excited to start something new and we know each other and that feels really good so that when we get here, I'm gonna get to see you and you and I'm gonna get to hold Lyndon and do the kisses and I'm gonna see the boys when they run in and Parker and Jameson and I'm gonna get them mixed up because when they're not together, I don't know who they are. And that's a sweet spot. I love that about who we are, but that can become really dangerous really quickly because then again, those are the people that we're inviting to our tables are the people that we know and the people that we like and the people that make us feel comfortable. And then we're, we're getting too focused and too excited about meeting our friends. And then we're less excited about focusing on those who may come in these doors on a Sunday morning, but really just not creating space in our own lives for people that you can invite not to church, but to your table, to your living room, This place can be scary for people. If they've never been in a place or feel like they're not allowed to be here, this place, ah, they, even as small as we are and cool, we've got donuts and coffee and I don't really dress up because yuck, right? So that feels really great. We're so cool and hip and edgy, right? That, that's great. But your, your house is gonna feel way less scary. Maybe not scary at all. Maybe they've, they've been there before. You just wanna keep inviting them because you potentially already have a relationship with those people anyway. And so an invitation to your house would feel as natural as anything and you get to give them the best seat because there's room. There should be room, but sometimes that's the room that we don't make because we are busy. Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads, the country lanes and compel. It's a big word and they're not, In every version, it doesn't say that, but I love that word, to compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Compel means to urge strongly, right? I can't come to this party because I can't repay you. I imagine that's, I mean, you're going inviting these poor people? They're like, no, 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 I know how this system works, like, I appreciate you thinking of me, but I can't come. I'm not ready, I don't have the stuff. I don't know, I don't have anything to wear. I'm not going to be able to bring anything. There's gonna be nothing that I possess as a person that is gonna be able to give you anything. Jesus, the kingdom of God says, I just want you. You don't have to bring anything. You and your presence at my party is all I'm asking for. Stop striving for, st- for, for the things. I've got you. Everything's gonna be provided for you. That's, that's, the, that's the risky hospitality that the kingdom of God calls us to. The people that got the pre-invite, right? It's a, the, that got the save the date, it's a nation of Israel, right? They are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. But Jesus didn't fit in their mold. They wanted this political revolution and Jesus was bringing a revolution of the heart, a new way to think and behave and act and respond. So if if you guys are not gonna think it's it's okay because you guys are my chosen people, then I'm gonna take my message to the streets and I'm gonna open the gates because the gospel message is for everyone. The people that you would never invite to your party, they're invited to mine. And you who who reject them, you're never gonna get a taste of what's at my banquet. It's harsh. But it's difficult to bring proud, entitled people to to God's table. So what are some of those things for us that maybe we need to shed? Because we've got some entitlements? I sometimes feel like myself and where I come from, we sort of sometimes act more like the nation of Israel than the people throwing a party open in the gates wide. Like we've, we've got it figured out and this is how we act and we behave. These are the things that I expect out of you if you're going to come here, if you're gonna hang out with us. Jesus is asking us to invite people in and around our tables and into our lives. Not just corporately, but for you. Who are those people we talk about in in, uh, in circles of influence? One of the craziest dinner parties I ever went to, and then I promise we're gonna wrap it up, um, I found myself being really uncomfortable. I was invited by a friend who who had different people in her circle of influence, right? And she had recently done, uh, she's in theater and was involved in a show. And in that show were all kinds of, of different people. And she met some drag queens. And they were, they were in a show and part of the thing. And so she had those people to her house for dinner and I was invited. Now they were not in like full on costume, right? At the time. Um, but I didn't understand, right? Like I was like, how, what do I, what do I say? Like, how do I address them? Or is it this, is it that? And I remember her saying, just, just come, just come and eat dinner. It's not, it's not, not a problem. So there was, there, was, uh, there was family with kids and there was her husband at the end of the table having a conversation with a m- m- man called Didi. And I had all kinds of questions and I was confused and they didn't act right all the time. I'm pretty sure at one point in the party, they went and smoked weed at the side of the house and we were like, where'd they go? But we didn't have expectations for them. We were a little confused sometimes, Right? But it was just sort of like, you are still invited to my house knowing that not only can you not pay me back, I probably need to go pick you up because you don't have a car and we're not on the bus route. So because I met you and you became intermingled in my life somehow, I'm gonna make room and space for you in my life when it's messy and inconvenient and confusing because everyone's coming from different perspectives, walks of life, beliefs or unbeliefs Sinners that become saints and Jesus welcomes everyone to dine together. And that is the picture of the kingdom of God. When I was at that dinner party, weird dinner party <laughs> with all kinds of conversations that I've never really had before, I was like, man, this is, this is probably the closest to the kingdom of God that I have felt in a long time. Let's be those people. Let's invite people in to slide their feet under our table, to have conversations that make us a little uncomfortable and to get to be in relationship with people because when we are in relationship with people, we will know them and we can love them. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful that you love us and you invite us to sit at your table. You have no expectations for us. You just agree to meet us where we are to love us and care for us, to, to hold up a mirror to who we are and to strip away um, all the, the lies that we tell ourselves that we're not good enough. You strip away some of the, the badges of honor that we have, the things that we put our, our faith and our hope and our identity in and you take them away and you, you ask us to fill those places with you, with a love that only that you can give. And I pray that as we hear these words, that we won't just hear them for a moment, but that we'll be able to put them into practice that will allow them to transform the lives and the way that we live and the way that we interact with people so that we will find room, that will say no to some things in our lives that we really, really love and like to make room and time and space for people that you are drawing to yourself, the people that are marginalized, The people don't have a place to go to for dinner, whether it's Sunday or any other day. And that as you are drawing people to yourself, that you use broken people like us that don't have it figured out. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the stories that are represented in this room. And may all those stories be used for your honor and your glory. As we try to be the hands and feet of Jesus, the light of His face, that we move into the neighborhood the way that you taught us to. First in Jesus name we pray and believe. Amen.